I've believed now for a while that I think that one of the big mistakes that the Orthodox community makes is that we sort of teach you Torah min Shemayim first and God comes from there. Meaning that the only way you get God is if you have Torah in a way that is very, you know, solid. And therefore, as soon as you start to struggle with any of these questions, well, God's out the window. I've really come to believe very, very strongly that we really should be going in the other direction. I'm Scott Kahn, and this is The Orthodox Conundrum. This is The Orthodox Conundrum on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. I'm Scott Kahn. One of the most difficult issues in Orthodox Jewish education is helping our students and children develop faith, emuna, in God. And in a similar way, one of our biggest fears is often that a child or student will, so to speak, go off the derech, that is, abandon his or her religiosity. So many of us, however, don't even know where to start when it comes to teaching belief. Teachers are often no different from parents. They sometimes don't even know where or how to begin. Last year, I spoke about this issue with my friend, Rav Shmuel Feld. That was episode 26, entitled Education for Amuna. Rabbi Feld offered some very important insights, and I recommend that listeners check out that episode. In today's episode, I'm following up by interviewing my friend, Rabbi Pesach Somer. Rabbi Somer is a member of the Judaic Studies faculty at the Ramaz Middle School in Manhattan. He is a veteran educator who has taught for more than 20 years in various schools, including at MTA and Yeshiva of Flatbush. He is a graduate of Queens College, where he studied psychology, and he has smicha from Harav Zalman Nechemya Goldberg. He is also involved with Project Makom, an organization for Haredim who are looking to find a more comfortable way of expressing their frumkeit, where he speaks and offers guidance. Rabbi Shomer is a writer, blogger, and accomplished speaker, his versatility allows him to speak on topics as diverse as biblical criticism, Hasidic thought, and losing and regaining one's faith. He lives with his wife and eight children in Passaic, New Jersey, and as a personal note, I can attest that apart from his scholarship, keen mind, and talent in education, he is simply one of the finest human beings that I know. As you'll hear in this episode, his genuineness, his honesty, are apparent in every word that he says. Rabbi Pesach Somer, thank you very much for joining me today on the Orthodox Conundrum Podcast. Thank you for having me. It's so nice to be here. So let me open up with a very basic question that's nonetheless difficult to deal with. How do we teach emuna, meaning faith, belief, trust in God, to our children and students, or perhaps better said, is faith teachable in the same way that other skills are teachable? So that's an interesting question, and I think that your last question, I think, sort of... Um... I, I maybe is, is, is the place to start in the sense that I don't think it's a skill in that same sort of way. In other words, you know, as someone who was, uh, you know, I know, you, you know, you founded an incredible yeshiva, which their whole purpose was to teach skills, was to teach you how to be able to make a laning on a gemara, to learn independently. I think that Amuna is a very different it's it's very different. In other words, it's not a skill. There's not some sort of a measure where you can, you know, in other words, as opposed to let's say with Gemara, where you could say, well, can the person read this text or not? Can they analyze this text or not? So in that sense, I, I think that it's it's not a teachable skill, but at the same time, I don't think that that means that it's not teachable or at least something that we can potentially uh, try to give over to our children and to uh, to students. Well, how do you do it then? I know that this is something which you have been involved in. If it's not a skill, but it is teachable, if you can give a basic summary of what methodology should be used to teach faith. 
Um, so I, I think the first thing, and, and again, I would very much differentiate between uh, students and, and one's own children. Um, I frequently say I'm a much better mechanach than I am parent. Um, I think these it's it's a very different experience in terms of uh, family. I mean, if you push me enough on that, I'll try to say some things there as well. But in terms of the classroom, which is where I find things a little easier, I think that a lot begins with the teacher themselves. In other words, I think that 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 they have to be comfortable with the idea of talking about God, with talking about their own faith uh, in general. I, I think this is something that often uh, does not happen. In other words, I think that, for example, if you take the average teacher, particularly on you know the average man who decides to go into Chinuch, they've been trained hopefully fairly well in terms of being able to read Gemara uh, with Rishonim, Achronim, maybe you know Svara. They've they've learned Halacha at a high level, um, and yet in many ways they've never really been. Exp- exposed to high-level machshava unless they've chosen to do it on their on their own. Uh, typical yeshivas and certainly typical uh, smicha programs don't make that part of it. So I, I think that, that one of the areas that I think that already makes it so difficult is that I think that a lot of times rebeim, uh, moras, whatever term you want to use, I mean, they're just, they're not necessarily comfortable with this themselves. So it becomes something that often they don't, either know how to do or they don't want to do because it's just, it's not in their wheelhouse. So in that case, what are the questions that in your experience are the most acute and pressing for teenagers? And I'm assuming that when you say that teachers often haven't dealt with this, could be that they just didn't have these problems that teenagers have. It could be they grew up in a different milieu or different environment, were never confronted with these problems. Perhaps for some other reason, they don't have those same intellectual doubts or the ability to address those doubts. But what are the doubts that you find in your experience over your many years of chinuch, of teaching, that are most acute for the average student? Well, I mean, if I could just, you know, uh, latch on to something you just said, and then I'll, uh, then I'll respond uh, to your question. Sure. Friends of mine have noted that a lot of teachers are those who the system worked for. In other words, you've made it through the system. And in other words, the way you were educated sort of worked, which tends to be, again, as I've said a number of times, I mentioned it in a Facebook post last week, sort of a lot of trees and very little forest. And so the teachers who often make it through are often the ones who I think did not struggle with these things, did not need something other than what was provided. And therefore, you know, they may be very, very good at those things. They may be good at teaching skills. They may be good at teaching you to analyze a Gemara to figure out what Rashi's question is, but they've never really struggled within this. And I think it's sort of hard to teach something, you know, I mean, what does the Chazal say? Until you've struggled with something yourself, you're not able to really master it. And I think that that very often just the teachers themselves have not gone through it. Um, in terms of questions, I mean, it could be all sorts of things. Um, you know, kids, you know, often want to know, how do we know that there's a God? How do we know that the, you know, that even if there is a God, that the Torah comes from Hashem? It's questions like that. I mean, again, it, it, it varies. Um, it varies from level to level. But I think that that's basically where it's at. If we're trying to make a case that they're supposed to live this way, you know, these are the most basic things that sort of lacking this, lacking some sort of comfort in these areas, it sort of seems, you know, odd to sacrifice your whole life for, you know, for a God in Torah that you're not entirely sure about. Well, when you talk about sacrificing your whole life for a God in Torah you're not sure about, do kids actually leave Torah Judaism, in your experience, because of problems with belief? Or is it the other way around? Kids who want to leave use that as an excuse, maybe a valid excuse, but an excuse nonetheless. In other words, which comes first in somebody, so to speak, going off the derech, becoming not religious? 
So I think it depends on the community. I, I mean, as someone, I, I, I don't know exactly if you pin, try to pin me down exactly what community I consider myself to be a part of. I mean, I, one of my biggest challenges is that I feel a little comfortable in a lot of places and entirely comfortable in none. Um, That's one of the reasons I like you so much. Right. Well, thank you. Yes. Um, same same towards you um but i, I <laughs> um you know but that's the thing i i, I think in, in the modern orthodox community I, I i don't think you're dealing with kids who have been like deeply deeply immersed and have felt really good and then sometimes break away in other words i, I think a lot of times i think they're they never really had buy-in in the first place you know they're sort of they're they're in a you know jewish school they're maybe in a jewish camp their family whatever it is but you know, they, they do whatever they do to whatever degree they're into it, however they keep Shabbos, however they engage in all sorts of social issues with their friends. And I think that just given the opportunity, you know, you know, often when they get to college and they're on their own and there's not someone sort of guilting them into it or forcing them into it. I, I don't get the sense a lot of times it's something particularly intellectual or, or even I don't think there's necessarily a crisis of faith as, as much as the fact that there has not really ever been faith that needs to be broken away from. I mean, I, I've sometimes compare it to if you were wearing three sweaters and you took one off, you would not you know, really notice having taken it off. In other words, I think that a lot of non-Orthodox kids, when they leave, it's not particularly difficult. It's not particularly stressful. It's, it's not anxiety ridden and, and, and too much. And especially there tend to be a lot of peers. If you contrast that with, let's say, the Haredi world, where I think it's a much more, it's a deeper or maybe a thicker experience that they have. People leave from the Haredi world from all sorts of reasons, from you know intellectual to emotional to there's been, a, I mean, all sorts of things, but they never leave that inner you know tension that they have. You know, in other words, you know, a modern Orthodox kid is not going to eat treif on Yom Kippur, right? In other words, like they may, you know, I mean, when they, if they leave, they leave, whatever. They're not mad at anyone. They were, you know, but, you know, a Haredi person, in other words, it's so deep in their kishkas that they will know when Yom Kippur is so that they can eat non-kosher on Yom Kippur or so that, right. you know, you know, or, you know, I mean, you see these videos sometimes where, you know, I mean, uh, remember years ago, a friend of mine sent me a video of uh, a couple of ex Hasidim sitting around. It's a Friday night. They're sitting there. Maybe they've just had a meal together. They're passing around a joint they're singing uh, Hasidic uh, Zmiros together and it's 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 so poignant because again you know I mean um, you know right. they, they want it out they've left and yet there's something you know this Zemer still touches them deeply you know and I, I don't know that that I certainly uh, can't put it into words I'm not sure if they could put it into words that's interesting so it sounds like from your experience primarily teaching modern orthodox kids the point of teaching faith is to build the faith rather than to prevent them or preclude them from finding a reason to leave yeah, no, that's a good way of putting it. I mean, that's the thing. It's, it's sort of, again, you know, I mean, we teach them all these different things. We try to teach them skills. We start off with Chomish and Navi and Halacha and Gemara and everything like that. None of those things, even if we succeed, and, and uh, you know, I think we both know that, you know, uh, there's a very mixed record there at best. Um, but even if we succeed, none of those things really, you know, necessarily draw you in. I mean, there were, there are people who whose connection to Judaism is, is, is a Daf Gemara and they love it. And that's enough for them to feel, you know, but, but, you know, yeah, I, I think for the most part, we have to sort of give them the opportunity to explore this world um, as much as we can. I was speaking to a friend of mine that just reminds me, Rabbi Shmuel Feld. I interviewed him a year ago about Imuna. He is an expert in teaching Imuna, teaching faith. And a few days ago, when he and I were talking over Zoom, he mentioned the importance of emphasizing experience in addition to intellectual acquiescence. And when you discuss and describe that poignant scene of these, so to speak, former Haredi people sitting around smoking a joint on Shabbos, but singing Miros. 
you think of the experience of God as something which really is maintained on some level, or at least the emotional experience still for them. How do you teach kids about that experience? In other words, there's such a thing as Moran Avuchim, Guide for the Perplexed, teaching an intellectual idea about Judaism or about Torah. But there's that experience, that feeling of, of, of connection to God, which may be much more important for many. How do you as a teacher, if you can, teach that sort of thing? So as as a teacher, it's a challenge because a, a lot of people, when I when I even talk about this, um, a lot of people push back that it's something that should come from the home, and 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 I don't I don't disagree with them. In other words, ideally, if the parents have a deep faith experience themselves, that could be conveyed. That could be conveyed in how they daven. That could be conveyed around the Shabbos table. That can be conveyed Torah mitzvahs. That could be vacated, you know, conveyed in what you do on vacation or what you don't do. I and mean, there's all sorts of ways that you could do that. I mean, when you're dealing with with a you know with a student who gets to you who has not really ever discussed these things with their parents. I mean, I, I just, to, I, I guess a bit of a tangent that, and then I'll come back. I'm Rabbi Jay Goldman said, uh, teaches at Maya Note. I have uh, one of my daughters actually goes there um, and he sent home a letter and I ended up sharing it on Facebook. It was a very powerful letter about, you know, we're basically this project where he asked the kids to go home and talk to, about their parents about Amuna. And the kids found it fascinating and the parents found it fascinating, but somehow, you know, you're talking about, you know, um, high school juniors, it had never happened in either direction. You know, the kids, whatever they're thinking about, the parents, whatever they're experiencing. I, I, I don't know. Look, I mean, as I said, you know, parenting is a very, is a big challenge and how you bring it up and when you bring it up and if you bring it up. But in other words, there, there is something that in other words, that I think a lot can, you know, a lot can and, and, and should come from parents, assuming that the right situation is there. In terms of school, again, that's the thing. I don't, you know, I, I think, first of all, um, I, I'm a big believer that the teacher is one of the texts. I think that a teacher has to be open about their own faith experience. It could be, they could be open to their own struggles. I think one of the most powerful things you could tell a student is that um, you struggle with davening sometimes. Sometimes I'm not in the mood to daven, right? Because they tend to sort of, kids tend to be very, very binary in this regard. They're sort of them who either don't believe or are struggling with belief. And then there's their teachers who just, you know, oh, well, they believe. They're just connected to God. And just to even show them that it's this, there are these ups and downs, you know, I mean, in that Rebbe Nachman sense that, you know, from day to day, you don't even, you know, your experience with God varies. I think that that itself is a very powerful step. That leads to an interesting question when you describe yourself as a teacher, as a text who has to be open to the students. And then your example was, oh, sometimes I might have difficulty with davening. A wonderful example. What about deeper religious doubts? What about religious doubts and religious struggles that might go beyond Davening is difficult. What about when a teacher says, oh, I've also had a crisis of faith on a much deeper level? Is that something which should be aired in front of students or is that something which should be kept private? So, I mean, it's interesting you say that because I myself went through a major crisis of faith. I mean, I actually left Chinuch for a while while I was trying to figure out whether I could, you know, still be a teacher of Torah. I, I made it out, obviously. I mean, I made it back. I'm, you know, I'm still, you know, back in Chinuch now. I, I don't talk about the particulars. I always say I don't introduce questions, but I respond to questions. Meaning, in other words, I've, I've pretty much, I've told the story one version or another to, to different classes, depending on whether it's high school or middle school, about the fact that I did have struggles. I, I'll even tell them sort of, I remember the first time it happened, where it happened, but uh, I, I don't get into the particulars. I don't get into what it's about. I don't think that there's any value in my telling them questions that they could have if they had thought about it. If the student says, you know, how do I know that? You know, that's a very different than, than my saying, well, let 
let me tell you something that you've probably never even thought about. But if you thought about it, I could probably, you know, uh, make you struggle a little bit. So I, I don't do that. But but yeah, I, I'm definitely open about the fact that I have been there before. And again, I think that that just creates a different kind of dialogue. You're not coming from this place of like, you're the the believer up on Harsinai with all the knowledge and everything like that. And they're the unfortunate one without faith, but that you're that you're all going through the same experience of trying to connect with a uh, with a with a God who's not always obviously uh, there for you to see. That's interesting because I was going to ask you about how you handle questions to which you don't have good answers. It may be a kind of question which you don't have a good answer, but it doesn't necessarily bother you, but you don't really have a good answer. What would you tell a student when you don't have a good answer? Do you say, I don't have a good answer to that? Or do you perhaps offer an answer which you think will satisfy him or her, even though to you, you realize it might have some holes that the student may not notice? That's a good question. I mean, so for the last, uh, you know, five and a half years, I've been teaching middle school. So it's a it's it's a different age. And I think that that already leads to something different. I think they're, um, you know, it's interesting when I started teaching middle school again now, I mean, I've been in high school for a long time. I sort of was not very excited. I thought this was really not an age where you could do these kind of things with. And and it was only due to the fact that I had a, uh, a head of school who who told me how much um, his middle, middle school experience had impacted on him becoming um, an Orthodox Jew that I sort of came, as well as just sort of meeting my students and realizing that they're a lot deeper than I thought of that age as being. But again, I, I do think that there's differences between those things. I will sometimes, you know, introduce them to an idea and I'll say, I, I don't know, is this a, you know, in other words, I won't go into, okay, let me tell you 12 reasons, you know, and here's a website and whatever it is, but to say, you know, this is an idea. You may find it interesting. I don't know if, you know, it, I don't know if it's a proof. In fact, I don't know if there's ever such a thing as a proof, but it's something to think about. Um, and again, for a middle schooler, that may be enough. I, I'd say the, the older you get, the more you have to be willing to really put your cards on the table to show them that, you know, that, yeah, sometimes the, the, the question is stronger than the answer and that sometimes you just live within that. I, I, I don't think it's a good idea to give them particularly, you know, you know, high school age students kind of proofs or answers that you know that, you uh, you know, any any good, you know, intro to Bible class or whatever is going to is going to, you know, just, you know, destroy because once they get the sense that they can't trust you or that you're sort of you fed them kind of, you know, weak answers, I, I think they lose their, their trust in you in general and maybe in the system and, you know, beyond that. I found the same thing in my own experience as a teacher. For example, I've taught a class about creationism, the idea of the age of the universe according to the Torah versus according to science. And in this particular shiur I've given, I give a number of different answers, but I also explain why some of them are not that compelling to me. I say, if this works for you, that's wonderful. I'm glad it works for you. For me, it doesn't work because of X, Y, or Z. And this is the answer I personally like better, though you may not like that either. I think being honest with students is actually an important starting point, let's just say, or else they won't be able to trust you when you actually really want them to hear what you're trying to say. Yeah, very much so. I mean, that's the thing. I, I, again, I think a lot of it is relational. I think a lot of it is just sort of I remember for myself, you know, kind of the first moment I met, it was during a year in Israel where I met a teacher, a Rebbe, who I just, I, I didn't, you know, I was certainly not on the rabbi track even, in, you know, during my, my time in Israel and for a little while after that, you know, but, but just the first time I met someone where I just said, like, I, I could be like this, you know, I could live a life, you know, sort of like this person. It was the first time. And I think that that's the thing. I think it's just sort of, I think a lot of kids are not necessarily into, you know, the, the heavy, really, really big questions, although you do get students like that. But I think a lot of them, they just want to see, like, you know, is this something that just kind of makes sense? Is there is this the kind of role model who not only, you know, the way they behave, but the way they live, the way they think, their faith? Is this just something that 
I can imagine trying on or I could imagine living with. And so that thing, I do think a lot of it is just sort of being open in both directions, where you do feel strongly, where you do feel a little bit of struggle. Although again, you know, without opening up uh, new doubts that a student may not, you know, may not even know about. Then let's talk about those students, the rare students, as you put it, who do have those questions, who have very specific questions, whether it's in middle school or high school or yeshiva. What are the questions that, in your experience, are the most acute and pressing for those teenagers who do have questions? That's an interesting question. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think in terms of, you know, one of the most basic things is Torah Min Shamayim. Um, especially, you know, I mean, I think that even before they've taken, you know, courses like that, I, you know, the, the, in, in college, which may introduce them to all sorts of ideas, I think there are certain kids who just, it's, it's, it's a tough idea to buy into, even if you haven't really discovered all of the big questions behind it and all the, you know, the historical issues and all sorts of things like that. In other words, just this idea that we've, we've got this, this series of teachings, this book, so to speak, you know, that God has given us. And they're very much growing up in a world where sort of the lines are much less clearly, uh, you know, drawn between them and members of other communities and just this sense of just, you know, why does it matter if I'm anything more than a good person? And I think a lot of things, and especially if you're not growing up in a house where necessarily all these things are taken all that seriously, I think that a lot of it just starts there of just, you know, I mean, why should I live by this? It doesn't, you know, I don't even know if it's true. No one seems to be able to prove to me that it's true. And I'm not even sure that it makes me a, you know, a good person. I mean, uh, or a better person than I am. I know a lot of good people who are not religious and they meet some people who are religious who aren't so great. I mean, it's, um, I think it often starts over there. And just some of them, again, I think some of them are a little more sophisticated. You know, they're a little bit more advanced in sort of the, the nuances of these questions. But I think that seems to be, more or less the kind of the areas where it starts. As long as you raise Torah Mina Shemayim, the idea of Torah from heaven, let me open that up a little bit and ask you something more specific about it. One of the major differences between, I can say, different educators or maybe different schools of thought or even perhaps different communities of Jews in the Orthodox world is how much of a say you're willing to give these questions. In other words, there are some, for example, who will say that, and they could rely at least on seemingly the Rambam to agree with this, that you cannot say that a single word is different from a Moshe got from, from Sinai. However, we understand the Rambam, but that appears to be what he says. Others will say, no, lower criticism is a different story than higher criticism. Others will talk about higher criticism. Maybe there's something we can acknowledge if you bring in the Ibn Ezra. I don't want to get into these issues now. That's not really our point. My question is, how much are you willing to expand the possibilities and how much do you think you have to stay on the straight and narrow in terms of what will be an acceptable hashkafa, an acceptable way of seeing this particular issue or other issues like it from a larger Jewish perspective. What, what's your feeling about that? So I think there's really two different sides to it. First of all, it depends whether a question is asked in class or whether it's asked in private. In other words, if it's asked in class, you have the, the, the more complex issue that this student may be bothered by that, but sort of dwelling on that issue, you may introduce a whole bunch of questions to students who are not thinking about these things. So in other words, it's very hard to sort of proceed in a way that um, that sort of works for others. I mean, ideally, it's the kind of thing where I, I think it's best discussed one-on-one. I mean, I think, you know, when you think about like what Chazal said in, you know, in the Mishnah Chagiga about certain topics not being really, you know, meant to be taught in large groups or even in small groups. But I think that, that very often, 
you know, when possible, I think it's good to sort of be able to, to speak to students about, you know, their particular issues directly rather than sort of within a class context. The other side of it, or another aspect of it, I guess, is I've believed now for a while that I think that one of the big mistakes that the Orthodox community makes is that we sort of teach you Torah min Shemayim first and God comes from there. Meaning that the only way you get God is if you have Torah in a way that is very, you know, solid. And therefore, as soon as you start to struggle with any of these questions, well, God's out the window. I've really come to believe very, very strongly that we really should be going in the other direction. That, you know, as much as possible, trying to connect, create this, this deep connection to a Kaddish Baruch Hu. And within that, there's Torah, which is a major way of connecting to a Kaddish Baruch Hu. And then we can talk about, well, what is Torah and how do we, what is that connection and uh, all sorts of things like that. In other words, I think once you do that, I think that whatever questions come up within Torah, I think are much more manageable because it, there's less writing on it. In other words, it's sort of, you know, this is, Torah becomes a way of how do you connect to a Kaddish Baruch Hu instead of how do you know that there's a Kaddish Baruch Hu? How do you, know, in other words, um, according to the way it's usually done, you know, sort of that first introduction to, you know, biblical criticism or any of these questions you know, not only do they, uh, they have to try to figure that out, but all of a sudden it's like, whoa, God is gone. Um, I don't think it has to be that way, but I think that the way we educate, I think it's sort of, um, it, it goes in that direction. That's one of the big things I've tried to do is really figure out ways to talk about God that are, that are sort of independent of that, you know, you know not, not about proofs or anything like that, but in terms of how do we experience God in our lives just, just in general. Wow, that's a really important point. The idea that the way you're suggesting that teachers teach even if students have problems with Torah on some level, that won't inherently ruin their faith in God. It's a very interesting way of looking at that. I like that. I want to ask about that idea of faith in God. Professor Menachem Kellner wrote a book entitled Must a Jew Believe Anything, which in its time was quite controversial because many of our listeners know the Mishnah and Sanhedrin, which seemingly implies that, yes, you do. There are certain faith requirements. Professor Kellner is intelligent enough to know the, about that Mishnah, and he explains it accordingly, but he does make a distinction, which I always found fascinating. He talks about the difference between belief in versus belief that. Belief in is a faith in something, the same way I say, I believe in you. It's not a statement of fact so much as a statement of trust, whereas faith that is, I believe that something is true. And his suggestion is that we move things away from belief that further into the realm of faith in, trusting in God, rather than belief that a certain proposition is true or false. He says, first of all, that's more Jewish based on historical precedent. The idea of, of articles of faith is a more recent a more recent idea, according to his research. But second of all, he said it also is a better way of teaching trust in God. What's your feeling about that? I didn't re realize who it was from, but I have heard that idea before. And I think that that's sort of, I mean, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. In other words, I, I think that, you know, one of the things that's interesting, you know, people tend to think that that sort of like the Rambam and the rationalists and Kabbalah and Hasidus are in very, very different, you know, camps. But in other words, both of them sort of recognize that that ultimately, whether you want to call it, you know, the, the, the Ein Sof or the, you know, the idea that you can't say anything positive about God is that, you know, in terms of really being able to say what God is in some sort of, you know, scientific way, in some sort of, I, I think Judaism in general, recognizes that there is this this sort of experience of that God is just much 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 bigger than we are and that ultimately you know there's all sorts of illusions there's all sorts of hints that we look for all sorts of metaphors but that we never could actually lay our fingers on it and I think that that's one of the, one of the things that I love about Hasidic thought is that it, it sort of it moves away from this um 
you know, right. I mean, it sort of starts to some degree with the Rambam, but even more so like with like, just like within the enlightenment that there's sort of like, that God is like a, some sort of like a uh, physical object who can be dissected and broken down into pieces and what, you know, and is God this or that. And I think Hasidus is much more of just experiencing the the greatness of God, experiencing, you know, sort of the, the, the grace of God. I mean, it sort of wants to do both of those. It sort of wants to say God is bigger, you know, God is the aim. So if God is beyond us, on the other hand, you know, God is, you know, realer than real in the most, and, and in everything we see is here. And I think that somehow trying to hold on to both of those, I think is really the key and, and, and not trying to make faith into something, just some sort of like intellectual, uh, you know, postulate or series of postulates that you have to believe. And let me demonstrate from this to this, to this, it's sort of, you know, within Hasidus, it's sort of the idea that Da'as is not just a intellectual knowing, but it's a, it's an embodied knowing. And I think that, mm-hmm. that, that again, you know, I, I think that's one of the, these areas where, you know, modern orthodoxy is not great. You know, we're very good about talking about ideas and, and facts and again, the trees, but it's, you know, I mean, I often say, and, and this, this makes me sad every time I encounter this, I, I you know, I know a number of, uh, you know, non-Orthodox rabbis who I've become friends with. And of course it's a selective group um, in terms of who I'm gonna feel connection with, but I meet, you know, non-Orthodox rabbis who can talk about what faith means. They'll, they'll be into Rebbe Nachman and they'll have these really, you know, I mean, I've heard interviews with them and they can't. And then my, my Orthodox peers, I mean, it, it hurts sometimes just to hear them talk about it. They're, they're just not either in touch with that part of themselves or they just don't even, they've never learned enough to be able to say anything. And I think that that, you know, that's the thing. I think it's, it really is. If we're going to say that we are the text itself, then, then, you know, we have to figure out a way of not putting teachers out there who don't have anything to talk about in this regard, because it's not going to be, again, it's not going to be a Morin of Vuchim that's going to prove it or a Kuzari or something like that. It's, it's about in, encountering real faith and, and real struggles of faith and, you know, what, what that looks like. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think that certain segments or sectors of orthodoxy have made a big mistake in effectively turning Judaism into a branch of philosophy with a behavioral component. I think we have to look at it as something quite different from philosophy. But what you just said in terms of putting teachers out there or scholars out there who don't really know what the answers to these questions are in the Orthodox world, let me ask you what teachers, what writers, what thinkers speak to you, perhaps more appropriately, speak to you and that they are right to teach kids or others about Amuna, about faith? So I'm teaching middle school, so maybe I, I'd have to think about what I would do if it was high school. But I, you know, I'm not. I'm not trying to be systematic. First of all, I think you know, I, I, I very much just believe that students should discover these big thinkers, just know ex- that they exist. Um, you know, that there are these big people out there. Because I think one of the things that happen, you know, and, and anyone who teaches, you know, in modern Orthodox system knows this, that even if they stay in through 12th grade, maybe they go to Israel for the year, maybe not, and then they they're sort of deciding like, am I in or am I out? And a lot of times, I think what they're evaluating is the, the Judaism, you know, I once wrote something called like, what are they leaving? In other words, if you ask a kid what Judaism is when he's trying to, or, or she's trying to decide after 12th grade, whether they want this anymore, you know, so again, so they know Chumash and they know Navi and they know Mishnah and they, but you know, they've never heard of Rav Cook. All they know about Rebbe Nachman is like a dumb techno song, which is like sort of fun to <laughs> rave to. They know Hasidim dress funny, but they've you know never been exposed. And so a big part of what I believe in is just introducing them to these personalities. Um, I mean, I had one student last year, um, one of the smartest students I've ever taught, and someone who, you know, they, they had a decent amount of uh, cynicism, maybe skepticism. And I remember one day we did this, uh, we did a piece from Rav Cook um, in my class, and just they stayed afterwards and they were just, 
they were blown away by it. You know, in other words, and this is just something, and again, this is a very smart eighth grader. This is not, you know, but in, in most schools, they're not going to really meet Rev Cook in high school either. You know, they'll meet Rev Cook as the first Ashkenazi chief rabbi of Israel and blah, blah. As an historical like, personage as opposed to anything else. Right, right. You know, that's the thing. Like, here's this great, great, great thinker who, again, like people love to like mention, right, for like Zionism, but he's, I mean, he, he has so much to offer. I mean, there's so many. I mean, I remember when I, you know, came in touch with Hillel Zeitlin, who was just so fascinating to me because, you know, one thing I've always said is that obviously people have had, you know, big people have had religious crises throughout. It has to be. I mean, people do. But particularly Rebellion, they can't openly talk about, certainly write about it. I mean, I know of a, you know, a, a very prominent American Rosh Hashiva, you know, I have it through pretty good sources that he actually went through a religious crisis and had to sort of reinvent his faith. But he, of course, never could have talked about it. He never wrote about it, never, um, you know, but the amazing thing about Hillel Zeitlin was that Hillel Zeitlin was someone who was a prolific writer in Hebrew and Yiddish and who went through, you know, was born in a Hasidic com you know, community, went through a major crisis of faith that lasted for a very long time, total autodidact, you know, read every, you know, uh, Spinoza and, and Nietzsche and I mean, was, was writing all about this and sort of writes about the downs and the ups and how he made it back. You know, most of it's in Hebrew, um, but some of it's been trans or Yiddish and some of it's been translated into English, but just like such a fascinating personality. I bring some things from him, from Rabbi Nachman. Um, it could be the Ramchal. It could be the Rambam, although again, you know, a cert certain aspects of the Rambam more than others. Pia Zetzner Rebbe, um, you know, the, just this idea of, of students Students getting to encounter these these giants. I mean, it's one of the things I was talking about with a colleague of mine the other day. You know, we, we always talk to kids about rabbis. There's, you know, Rebbe Akiva and Rebbe Meir and Rashi and Rambam. But the only rabbis for the most part they ever meet are guys like me. And, you know, it's like, so they, oh, yeah, you know, I, I know what a rabbi is, you know, so, you know, there was Rashi and there's Rabbi Somer and, you know, you're like, God help us. But that's, you know, they think that, that uh, we're both rabbis. Um, you know, I think that's the thing. I think just sort of allowing them to discover that, you know, that there are these giants, you know, of, of faith and who, who, again, who were not afraid of questions, who themselves may have struggled, but who, in the case of the PSS Rebbe, was willing to risk everything over it. Um, I think just that, just seeing that, that, that faith is this, just this, can be this huge passionate idea and not just this sort of like silly, like, oh yeah, I believe kind of thing. I think that's a very big thing in and of itself. And what you just said about Rev. Cook in particular, talking about how they know he was the Ashkenazi chief rabbi of Israel up to 1935, and that's if they know that, and that's it, without realizing that his thought speaks to people for the past hundred years. It's unbelievable. It reminds me a little bit of the Maharal of Prague. And if you ask the vast majority of Orthodox Jews about the Maharal of Prague, they'll tell you, oh yeah, the guy who had the golem. And apart from the fact that historically that's not true, maybe someone had a golem, but it wasn't him. The problem I have with it is he is known for the golem when he should be known for his encyclopedia of Jewish thought, which he put together. And it's unfortunate that he's been limited to a legend when, in fact, he was actually this tremendous thinker. But when we speak about thinkers, you mentioned Hill Zeitlin and others. What about non-Orthodox thinkers? Do you think it's right to introduce students to thinkers who are not Orthodox or perhaps even not Jewish? For example, someone like C.S. Lewis, who was a believing Christian, and he wrote some very important works of theology which deal with Christianity but can also be used to bolster the faith of other people as long as you, if you're a Jewish, you leave aside the Christianity. There are some very important ideas that can emerge as well. Is that something you would let students know about or do you think that they're too young for that? 
So again, I think it, a lot depends on the age and, and, and the particular students. I mean, that's the thing, like I, I remember at one point, I mean, when I, when I was given the opportunity to teach um, what, what I call Hashkafa, not, you know, the, the school calls it, you know, Hashkafa, whatever that, I mean, it's definitely not a Jewish philosophy class, but it's also not a, here's what you should believe class. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not even sure how exactly we chose the title, but in other words, but at, at some point, I mean, I was basically just sort of given the keys and just said like, here, you drive and where do you <laughs> want to go? And it was, it was kind of cool. I had to put together, you know, basically a booklet of, of sources. Um, the first year I totally blew it. I, I totally was, I over-intellectualized it. And I think I, I lost more of them than I, than I, than I got. But by the second year I came up with something which I think has really worked. And I, I remember, I don't remember which time it was, but I remember I was thinking about, you know, do I include um, non-Orthodox thinkers? It's not because I myself don't make use of them or non-Jewish ones. You mentioned C.S. Lewis. Um, I certainly, you know, I, I, I think there's value there. It's just a question of sort of particular ages and what makes sense in, in terms of a group. Um, you know, in other words, a particular student may say, hey, you know, you got to try screw tape letters. This will just like blow your mind in terms of, you know, the, the, the psychology of it. But I think at the very least, if there's an idea that I'm trying to get across that that does not require going out, side then in other words i don't think there's any reason to bring it in just to bring it in if there was something let's say i don't know you know again what you know without getting into what heschel you know orthodox or not orthodox i don't, I don't think that's like a very helpful conversation but i'm saying but let's you know for those who would say that he you know but you know that in some way he was not if there was something specific you know for example i i, I don't remember who it was but i know that there was a rosh yeshiva who once told you know like a, a yeshivish rosh yeshiva who told his student to read the sabbath you know just he just said it was just the best thing out there on shabbos you know so in other words if in a situation like that I wouldn't say, oh, no, I'm not going to give it because, you know, like better they shouldn't know about it. But if you're talking about something that, you know, the same point could be made by, you know, Revelius or Berkowitz or, or, or of Cook or, um, or whoever, you know, then I don't think there's necessarily any, any benefit in going outside of there. And it's also, it's not as if our students in the modern Orthodox world are sort of, you know, narrow and think that things can only come from their camp and therefore we need to show them that they have to be broad. For the most part, I think they, they often sort of suffer from the opposite opposite, that there's real no difference between us and them, you know, Jewish, not Jewish, religious, not religious. And therefore, you know, I mean, in this particular case, um, unless there's something specific that I think that one of them has to offer that it just, I, you know, I don't have anyone else who says it or says it better, or at least as well, um, I, I don't think that there's necessarily a reason to go there. Now, we're almost out of time, Rabbi Somer, but I'm going to go back to something you said at the beginning, and you opened up this door, so now I'm going to walk right through it. Can you speak at least for a couple of minutes about the difference between teaching students and teaching your own children? Well, um, I, I can. I mean, I, I can try. Um, you know, you're someone who who knows at least uh, at least one of my children. So you, you, I think you could appreciate my challenges. And uh, thank God you were a very good rabbi for him. And well, thank God you have wonderful children, at least from those that I've known. Oh, uh, thank you. Um, um, it, it, it's tough. I, I think that, that in the end of the day, um, I, you know, I'm not yet a, uh, you know, none of my children are married yet, so I'm not a, uh, not yet a grandfather, but there's sort of like the joy of being a grandparent that in the end of the day, you know, you spend time with them. And then when you're tired out, they, they go back to someone else's home and they're, they're sort of, you know, you get them sort of in limited doses. You could be on your best. And I think that that's one of the things that happens as a teacher, you know, they, they come through the doorway. I know between, you know, 8am and, and 3 50 that I, I I can't be a jerk and I can't let out, you know, all of the dark parts of who I am. I'm just, I've got to be on the entire time. You know, those who live with me do not, you know, have that. So that, that already is one, one challenge, but 
I, I mean, I think when it comes to one's own children, there's so much differentiation that they're trying to figure out who they are and how they want to be like their parents and how they not don't want to be like their parents. And there's so much also I know psychologically for me. And, you know, you mentioned Yehuda is my oldest, you know, the poor oldest child who, you know, you know, you make all your mistakes on and, you know, sort of that one who you're like everything that you weren't, you know, he's going to be he's going to have a 95 mile an hour fastball and he's going to know shots and he's, you know, and, 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 you know, before you sort of realize like, whoa, slow down there a little bit, you know, this is a person you're dealing with, not some sort of like ego fulfillment. It's an O2 count. You're already, you know, down in so many ways. With other people's <laughs> children, it's just, it's just easier to have perspective. It's easier to sort of be okay when they're not yet where they, you know, I mean, that's the thing. I, I, I think one of the most important things I could do as a teacher is remember who I was when I was their age. And that's the thing I always say, you know, uh, you know, I, I was not on the rabbinic track in sixth grade, you know, uh, not in eighth grade, not in high school, not in my year in Israel. Not, you know, in other words, and to sort of, you know, all the things about, you know, what it was, you know, when I see a kid davening, it's so easy for a teacher to go, oh, oh, I can't believe that they're, they're talking during davening. Like as if, you know, you know, as, as, as if again, like this is like, you know, I've never talked during davening and I don't right. even understand this. Like, I mean, when it's somebody else's child, I think there's just the ability to be a long-term thinker and to recognize that this is, um, to, to, to borrow a metaphor from my past, which I wish was my present, it's a marathon, not a sprint. You know, it's like, it's a long-term, it's a long-term experience. And it's, it's, it's important to remember, you know, my friend Yehuda Chanelis, who's, he's been doing great things in Cleveland and Mizrahi using Rav Dov Singer's uh, approach to uh, Amuna. But I think that, you know, one of the things that Yehuda was saying recently is just in terms of like, do we measure where students add by, by out behaviors, how they dress and how much they learn and how they daven? Or do we recognize that really that in this area, that which we're trying to achieve is really not measurable in a lot of ways. I mean, that comes back to what we said before. In other words, you know, there's no test of, you know, it's not about, you know, can you tell me the, the 13, you know, the, the principles of the Rambam, or can you tell me the two proofs of, it's, it's again, you know, we're trying to get them to have this experience of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. And, and as teachers, we get so stuck up and, you know, uh, stuck into, you know, marking tests and grades and things that we can measure. And this is just something which is not measurable. And I think that scares teachers, but I think that, it, it's really where it's at. It's a recognition that sort of you have to recognize that that you're not going to know and you're not going to know for a very long time. And I think that, you know, for me, at least it's easier with my students than with that. And it's also, you know, I mean, it's just, uh, as, as I said, it's just during during the day, I'm like the grandparent who's, you know, on while the kids are with me. My kids see me, you know, uh, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you know, they get, they, they get the, the side that I would never dare bring to school. So that by itself just makes it so much harder. Well, I can say that from the years that I've known you, and admittedly, it's largely been online, though certainly not exclusively, I am absolutely convinced that your students are extremely lucky to have you as a teacher. Your children are extremely lucky to have you as a parent because you are a phenomenal educator. You are someone for whom I have learned very much and continue to learn, and I'm sure our listeners learned a lot today as well. Rabbi Pesach Somer, thank you very much for joining me today on the podcast. Thank you, Rabbi Khan. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining me. Remember to go to jewishcoffeehouse.com for lots of great podcasts, including Intimate Judaism, The Maimonides Minute, Chuchmat Nashim, The Francisca Show, Let My People Eat, and more. You can also find my blog, The Scott Conversation, there. Please also share this podcast so we can get the word out about the Orthodox conundrum to an even bigger audience. And please consider becoming a Jewish Coffeehouse patron by going to our Patreon page. The link is in the description of this podcast. For a small monthly donation, you decide how much or how little. You can get extra episodes, articles, merch, and more, while also supporting our work. So please check it out today. I'm Scott Kahn, and this has been the Orthodox Conundrum on JewishCoffeeHouse.com.